The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live. I'm Jacob Passi. I'm a personal finance reporter with MarketWatch, and I am joined by Sarah Raffner, credit cards and travel expert at NerdWallet. Welcome, Sarah, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jacob. So I want to set the stage really quickly for the folks tuning in. Uh, Many travel experts expect that this will be, this summer will be one of the busiest in recent memory. Folks all across the globe are ready to travel once again now that their concerns related to the pandemic may have receded a bit. And many jet setters are planning revenge vacations to make up for the lost time because of COVID. So given all that, Sarah, let's start with what's likely a big question on most folks' minds that are tuning in as they plan their summer getaways. Is it getting more or less expensive to travel? That depends. That's my answer to a lot of questions. Uh, It can depend on where and when you're traveling to and by what means you're traveling and how you're planning on staying there and getting around. So we saw airfares peak last July. Uh, but they'll be expensive again. But what's interesting is that airfares are more expensive now than they were about a year ago, but they're actually still less expensive than they were before the pandemic. So that's that's a bit of, there's some highs and lows there. Uh, same with lodging, hotels and vacation rentals. Uh, summer is obviously a very popular time to travel, and there's a lot of seasonality built into hotel pricing. So you might expect to have a tougher time finding some good deals with lodging. And then, of course, rental cars are still expensive. Not as expensive as they were at their peak. I don't know if anybody's going to be driving U-Hauls around Hawaii this summer. At least I hope not. But it's still a very expensive thing to think about. And that's before you fill the tank with gas, which is also more expensive. So so that's something that's really going to have an impact on how people decide to travel this summer, too. Right, right. So keeping on that idea, you know, what is driving the cost of these different, you know, the rising or falling cost of these different, you know, aspects of travel from airfares to hotel stays to rental cars? Is it demand, you know, just the sheer number of people who are probably going to travel this summer? Is it, you know, oil prices, supply chain issues? What's going on there? All the above. Uh, Obviously, gas prices have a huge effect on travel because, That's how you get places. Um, You're not going to see like a one-for-one increase in airfare costs because of gas prices. Airlines kind of hedge gas prices a little bit. They sort of build that into their costs. But with rental cars, when you have to fill the tank or if you're road tripping in your own car, that's going to cost you a lot more money just to fuel. And um, we're also dealing still with staffing shortages at airlines, at hotels. So we're seeing routes getting cut or... Um, canceled in some cases, even after you've booked your flights. I've had that happen to me. And uh, then you have to scramble and and rebook a new reservation, possibly not the one that you originally wanted. And it it is frustrating. And with hotels, we're seeing a slightly lower level of service than you might have been accustomed to. You stayed in hotels a lot before the pandemic, less room service. You're not getting that daily housekeeping that you might have really wanted. So you might be paying a higher price and feeling like you're getting a lower level of service. 
Now, when people hear that the prices of certain things are going up, I'm sure they're wondering, can I still get a deal? And you've already touched on the fact that, you know, the prices for a lot of these things are, you know, airfares, hotel stays are still lower than they were pre-COVID. Um, but, you know, with so many people looking to travel, you know, are deals still out there? And, you know, how how what are the best ways to go about finding them right now? Deals can still be out there. Keep in mind, it's already May 4th. So if your summer travel plans had to do with early summer, like Memorial Day, you might be scrambling at this point to line up your travel if you haven't booked it yet. But if you're talking about Labor Day later in the summer, you might still be able to find some deals, especially in places where uh, tourism is not back up to pre-pandemic levels. So we've seen uh, pretty good deals in Europe, places like Italy and Croatia, uh, which were very popular tourist destinations in years past. This could be the time to experience peak season travel in locations, but only deal with off-peak crowds, which is a much lovelier experience overall. Uh, but even still, when it comes to summer travel this year, because prices are so expensive, you don't want to wait till the last minute. At least start shopping around and seeing what's out there as early as you can, because you want to give yourself time. If you leave everything for the last minute, your options are limited. I want to go back to something you touched on before about staffing shortages, because especially with air travel, that's been a major issue. Um, and we've seen so many instances, and you, you already mentioned this, you know, in recent months where uh, routes were canceled proactively, but we've also seen, you know, these days where, you know, bad weather in one part of the country has this domino effect that causes delays and last minute flight cancellations throughout the rest of the country uh, and really snarling up uh, air travel. So, you know, what can, I was wondering if you could go into a little bit more about what these operational challenges airlines are facing, you know, what's, what's the cause of them and how travelers can be proactive and prepare for, for them this summer. Yeah. So you mentioned weather. Uh, obviously summer is a time of hurricanes and wildfires. Um, and so unfortunately, that's going to affect things. And we do not have any control over when that happens. So that's going to affect, you know, if you're traveling to any hurricane prone areas, I'm from Miami originally. So uh, for me, summer and hurricane season just go hand in hand, even though I don't live there anymore. Um, but then if you're also if you're traveling out west to wildfires can affect um, travel in a very big way, uh, for a pretty large swath of the country too. So what you can't that really the best thing you can do because so much of this is out of any one individual's control is build in as many um, ways to get notified of changes as possible before your travel. So if you're booking travel, sign up for the airlines app, sign up for alerts. So if there is a cancellation or a change in your itinerary, you can immediately spring into action and rebook. Uh, a flight that is hopefully still at a convenient time for you. You might not have your pick of the litter, but um, you hopefully can at least get to where you want to go around the same time. It's not always possible. Uh, I've definitely experienced super long delays as a result of having to dramatically change my travel itinerary because of these things. And so you set up those alerts and sometimes you'll be given several options of alternative flights directly on the app. So you can choose a new flight without having to sit on hold and wait for a person to help you rebook your flight. That can save you a ton of time and a lot of agony. And then on the day of travel, if you experience a cancellation or a substantial delay, uh, that can get dicey because 
you might have just been about to board the plane, but get to the airport nice and early. Give yourself a lot of extra time because then you're already where you need to be if there's a change in your travel plans. You can get online to talk to a gate agent. While you're online, get on the phone, get in the hold queue with the airline. Give yourself as many ways as possible to talk to a human being as you can. Multitask. Don't waltz into the airport with 20 minutes left to board and assume mm -hmm. that everything's going to be okay. Yeah, and, and having flown throughout the pandemic, uh, I will also piggyback on that to say the lines at security may be a little longer than you remember. Yes, you know, a lot of a lot of people have held off on travel for a long time, uh, myself included. I did not fly very often during the pandemic. And before the pandemic, I was taking multiple international flights per year. So I had I had traveling down to a science. I could pack without stress. I made it through the airport like George Clooney and up in the air. And now I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So packing stresses me out. Airport stress me out. It's like we've all unlearned the choreography of making it through the airport. Mm -hmm. And even if you have it, everybody around you is, you know, wondering, do I, do I still have to take my shoes off? Like, what if I can't find my bag of toiletries? Do I have to take those out? Do I have to take my laptop out of the bag? Do I have to take my tablet out of the bag? We don't know what we're doing anymore. So you want to give yourself a long time to make it through those lines because it's so stressful to be standing on a long security line, watching the clock, thinking, I'm not going to make my flight and I don't know when the next flight is. On, on the topic of building time for yourself, um, one recommendation I wanted to get your take on it was about giving yourself buffers in terms of when you're booking. So, you know, booking earlier in the day versus later in the day, booking, you know, giving yourself flexibility in terms of, you know, maybe booking, you know, if it's before a holiday weekend, like 4th of July, Labor Day, you know, booking a few days in advance so that you can make sure that you, if even if there's a flight cancellation, have a decent shot of making it to that, you know, family get, get together, barbecue, whatever you're traveling for, perhaps. So what are your thoughts along those lines in terms of that kind of idea of giving yourself that buffer? Oh, 100% give yourself that buffer. Uh, especially if you're flying for a specific scheduled event, like a wedding, we're all going to weddings again this year. Uh, there are, I think, more weddings than there have been since 1984. Like it's the summer of weddings. So there used to be a time I would arrive the morning of a friend's wedding and be fine. I would not do that now. I would spend the extra night in the hotel. Um, for me, it's worth a slight extra cost and an extra day away from home to know that I am going to make it to my destination for the purpose that I am traveling in the first place. Why spend all that money to travel if you're just going to miss the event? Um, so give yourself, you know, get in the day before. Um, you know, travel early in the day if you can. Uh, you don't want to lose a day. You don't want to lose the reason you travel. And honestly, here's something I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. If you have the ability to do this, because not everybody has the, the paid vacation time, but if you can actually take an extra day off when you get back, cool. That will do so much for eliminating your stress. You can get home, you can unpack, you can do laundry, you can go pick up your dog from the kennel. You give yourself that day to reacclimate to being home. So when you do start working again, you're good. All of your house stuff is taken care of. Just want to remind the folks tuning in, you can submit questions via the Q&A feature. Um, and I'm going to touch on one of those questions right now. So um, Lisa asked about the benefits of using Capital One credit cards, where you can get a credit on any airline by trading in points and using an airline credit card like United or Southwest Airlines 
Uh, so she's, you know, debating between the different types of travel credit cards out there. I feel like this is firmly within your wheelhouse, Sarah. So what is your advice? Because I think a lot of folks might be thinking of opening up those cards again. You know, what what strategy gives you the most bang for your buck when it comes to credit cards and travel? Yeah, my friends ask me this all the time because uh, they know what I do for a living. So I'm like their free advice person and I will be your free advice person. Thank you, Lisa. Um, so Lisa's specifically talking about Capital One tra uh, travel cards, but there are a number of credit card issuers that offer what we call general travel rewards credit cards. They're not tied to a specific airline or hotel brand. You merely earn points and miles through your spending. Sometimes you can earn a sign-up bonus as a new card holder too. And then you can redeem those points for a wide, pretty wide variety of travel-related expenses, uh, not just the big three, airfare, car rental, and hotel, but sometimes smaller things like tolls, parking, timeshares, uh, other tourist attractions, things like that. So if you are not loyal to any specific airline or hotel brand, if you don't necessarily have a, a highly specific trip in mind, but you want to earn points that you can later redeem for travel, a general travel rewards card can give you a greater amount of flexibility. But if you tend to fly the same airline all the time or stay in the same hotel brands all the time, this is really big for people who travel for work. Sometimes you will typically stay within the same hotel brand whenever you travel sometimes. So you can rack up a lot of points that way and you can get a lot of benefits that are very specific to the airline and to the hotel. Things like free checked bags, that's $60 in savings per round trip right off the bat. Priority boarding, sometimes you can get access to uh, airline lounges at airports. Uh, you can get things like late checkout at hotels. Sometimes you get access to these VIP lounges at some hotels that have free snacks. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, room upgrades is really great. Sometimes hotels will give you free Wi-Fi. If you're a card holder, you'd normally have to pay for that otherwise. So if you have that loyalty or if you have a very specific trip in mind and you know where you're going to stay and you know what airline you're going to fly on, then it can make sense to look at a, what we call the co-branded cards, the airline and hotel cards. But if you just want to keep it super flexible, that's where the general rewards cards can come in really handy. Staying on the topic of credit cards, um, earlier in the pandemic, we saw some of the big cards changing up their rewards and their policies um, as people were stopping traveling, um, you know, the, and I'm thinking of, you know, the Amex Platinums and Golds, the Chase Sapphires, you know, those types of cards. Where are we at now? Have the have those perks that are non-travel related, are they still around? Are they going by the wayside? Are new or different travel perks cropping up? What are you seeing in that space? So we're seeing a bit of a return to what these cards were before the pandemic, much more travel-focused rewards. There are some exceptions, but for the most part, if you're getting a travel card, it's because you intend to redeem those rewards for travel purposes. That's typically how you get the highest value per point. So if you don't think you're going to be using rewards on travel, you might want to consider using a cashback card instead because money always fits. Uh, but if you think you're traveling again in the next five to 12 months, then you might want to consider uh, shopping around for a travel card and seeing if it makes sense for you. And in terms of opening up travel credit cards, you know, this is a question I've, I've even had for myself was, when should I open it up ahead of the trip? Mm -hmm. You know, when do you get the best benefit out of it? Um, I mean, it's May, so obviously summer is just around the corner. But, you know, if anyone hasn't opened up one of these cards yet, 
Um, how should they think about strategizing when to open it? Um, and and also what other considerations in terms of your credit score, things like that, should they be aware of? Yeah. So at NerdWallet, we recommend applying for a new travel rewards credit card around five months before you book awards travel. A little bit longer if it's a card that has a longer time to earn a sign-up bonus. Some offer, you know, typically a sign-up bonus is spend a certain amount of money in the first three months. And then it takes another billing cycle for those points to appear in your account. So you're talking about four months right off the bat. Uh, some cards give you six months to earn that bonus. So if you spread out your spending a little bit more, then you're talking at least seven months before you begin to see those points land in your account. So you want to give yourself several months, a nice long time horizon if you are uh, using a card for the very first time. If it's an existing card, then you probably already have points accumulated on it. But if it's a new card, give yourself time. So that means, what you know, what does that mean for summer travel? Because it's May. Summer is... I mean, I live in Virginia. So right now, summer is now. It's already hot <laughs> outside. Uh, not always the case for the entire country, but you might be thinking about taking a trip within a month. If you're applying for a new card, if you've missed the boat on using those points for the summer, you can use the spending on your summer travel to save up points for holiday travel later this year. Mm -hmm. So you always want to think a few months ahead. If you travel several times a year, you could use your spending today to save money later on. Yeah, I, I love that idea. That's exactly what my uh, my husband and I have done before. We we pre-pandemic, we yeah. took uh, a trip to Europe and spent most, you know, when we put our airfares on a new card, all that, earned, you know, that bonus pretty quickly. And then we're able to use those rewards points to put towards our travel to visit my in-laws for the holidays. So it, it, that that's a great idea and a great way of, you know, bridging the kind of two big travel seasons yeah, Easy it's kind of like getting a two-for-one deal in some cases. Not necessarily. You might not necessarily earn enough to offset two international vacations a year. That's that's a lot. Uh, but like you said, you can use your vacation to help pay for a smaller trip later on. That's a really great use of points. Speaking of also some other perks when it comes to travel credit cards, a lot of them come with travel insurance, but mm -hmm. also people can purchase travel insurance either separately or, you know, sometimes at checkout with your airfare and hotel, you'll be offered some sort of coverage plan. So how should folks be approaching travel insurance these days? How do these policies differ in cost and are they worth the cost? So when you are booking a very expensive trip where you prepay for a lot of the costs, and especially if those costs are non-refundable, that's where it becomes pretty helpful to start shopping around for travel insurance, uh, especially if you're still concerned about COVID-related cancellations and things like that, because um, if there's any uncertainty at all in your travel, uh, you want to protect your investment. So before you necessarily invest in a third, you know, in an outside travel insurance policy, you might want to review, possibly even before you book anything, what sorts of coverage you already have, and then what gaps exist so you can potentially fill those gaps with additional coverage. So if you have a travel rewards card that has trip cancellation or interruption insurance, um, some of them have pretty substantial coverage. It has to be for what's called a covered reason. That's a big term in insurance policies in general. So typically with credit cards, uh, being afraid of COVID and wanting to cancel your trip out of fear is not a covered reason, but getting sick on your trip is. So that's something to think about. Um, so you want to you know, consider what coverage do I already have that I've already paid for through a credit card annual fee? 
Um, what coverage do I need? Am I taking a trip where I'm going to be bungee jumping and I want coverage, you know, extra coverage for potential medical disasters? That's a thing. Uh, adventure travel coverage is a thing. And, um, you know, what other coverage might you have through your existing health insurance plan? Um, your personal possessions uh, may be covered in the event of theft through your homeowner's or renter's insurance policy. So you might already have uh, an umbrella of coverage already, but what's missing? So that's where, you know, that's, and also if you're booking refundable things, just be sure, you know, what's my deadline for canceling this hotel stay or this flight? Um, can I book, you know, if I can cancel up to 48 hours before my trip and then something happens, I can get all my money back. I don't need to spend extra money on a travel insurance policy. So you kind of want to piece together all the different details of your trip and then see what's missing. Relatedly, um, do travel insurance plans from your understanding cover or provide if any sort of financial assistance if you get COVID while you're on your trip? Because I'm sure that's an issue, you know, a concern some folks might have, especially like international travel and things like that. Yeah. So a number of insurance companies have added COVID specific language and coverage to their plans, which is unique because typically known events like pandemics or named storms are not covered. So if you know a hurricane's coming and you book a trip to, you know, knowing the hurricane's coming, probably not going to be able to get a travel insurance policy to cover it because you knew what you were getting into. Um, but adding that COVID-specific language means that this known event has some level of coverage. But again, uh, the level of coverage you get can depend very much on the type of policy that you choose. And there is such a wide variety of coverage levels out there at different price points. The more coverage you have, the more flexible your coverage, the more you're going to be spending on the policy uh, in general. But whatever you choose, uh, it could be worth it to you know, work with an insurance agent, talk to them, read the fine print. I'm, I'm a huge advocate of reading the fine print for things. I know it's not exciting, but it can save you a lot of money and there's a lot of good information in there. So take the time and really understand what's covered and what's not uh, and, and to what levels things are covered so you know how you are protected. Now, more generally speaking, health-wise, how else should travelers be prepared for their summer getaways? Um, obviously, COVID uh, has not gone away, uh, and we have new variants cropping up. So, you know, it, it is still a bit of a gamble um, to some extent, but obviously, you know, folks are vaccinated, hopefully boosted, uh, and that that obviously lessens some of the the risk that that the pandemic poses. So, um, you know, what, what other you know, consideration should folks be making health-wise when they're thinking of traveling this summer? So you want to, so even if if your, your life at home is um, relatively back to normal, uh, just, you know, that can depend on where you live and, and your own personal situation and who's, who's in your household and, and what their health needs are. But you want to be prepared for a stricter level of, of local rules and regulations where you're traveling, especially if you're going to other countries. Um, because every country is reacting differently and has different rules. And so that means packing masks. That means um, if you need to take a COVID test at any point in your trip before travel, including to come back home to the United States, you want to line that up. You want to know where to get a COVID test, when you can book it, make that appointment, how much it's going to cost you. Sometimes you have to pay a sum of money out of pocket for this. Um, I know uh, some family of mine that just came back to the U.S. from an overseas trip uh, paid $50 per test to come back in. That's an extra hundred dollars for the two of them. So you want to budget for that. And, um, you know, you, you, 
you just kind of want to keep a sense of, you know, how are COVID levels looking in your destination? And if you are not feeling safe to travel, then what sorts of, you know, beginning to back out of your trip. And that's where put, building a lot of flexibility into your original booking through, you know, refundable bookings, travel insurance, that can come in really handy if you end up having to cancel, if you end up testing positive before you leave. And you also want to have a little bit of emergency savings or some extra airline or hotel points or travel points stockpiled away. Because if you're overseas and test positive for COVID and can't come back home and you have to end up quarantining there for two weeks or so, that might be on your dime. So you want to have money available to pay for those extra accommodations. Shifting gears, earlier we mentioned uh, rental cars, and obviously things have improved a bit from last summer where we, like you said, saw people actually renting U-Hauls in Hawaii because uh, they couldn't find a rental car. Um, where are we at right now with rental cars? You already touched on this a little bit, but but and specifically, is it even possible to score a deal on a rental car these days? Uh, so yeah, uh, not to convince words. Rental cars are still expensive uh, compared to how they were before the pandemic. Uh, so it's definitely something to work into your budget if you are planning on renting a car for your trip. There are a couple things you can do to save. Uh, one thing is, so um, a NerdWallet study found that rental cars tend to be about 20% cheaper if you book them through non-airport locations. So rental car offices within cities. That could be a lot easier too if you're only using the car for part of your trip because then you can potentially rent from you know, the location down the street from your hotel instead of having to take an expensive Uber or taxi all the way back to the airport, you know, 40 minute drive right there just to get pick up your rental car. So you can save a lot right there and it adds a lot of convenience into your trip. So shop around and see if different locations are offering different pricing. Also, you might wanna book your trip backward. Typically we book flights first and then we work out details like rental car and hotel. Maybe start with the rental car, see if that's even possible for you for your budget. Because if it is prohibitively expensive to rent a car in a certain destination, you might completely change what kind of trip you're taking and even where you're going. So start with the rental car and then fill in the rest of the details. And of course, use travel rewards cards. You can cash in points toward rental cars with a lot of general travel rewards cards, or at the very least, use that extra rental car spending to earn points that you could apply to future trips. And when booking the rental car, this is a question I have personally, since I rent them relatively often, my family does. Um, does it make sense to get all those extra protections on the car? Because uh, they add up. And when we're already talking about how expensive car rental cars are today, um, that's just yet another cost. So how should you go about thinking of you know all the extra insurance and stuff they offer you when you're picking up the keys? So if you already have an auto insurance policy for your own personal car that you own, uh, you might already have all the coverage you need. Uh, I know you live in New York City, so you might not own a car. <laughs> and I lived in DC for a long time and didn't own a car the entire time I lived there. So uh, I have lived most of my adult life without having an auto insurance policy. But your credit cards, your travel cards often have uh, auto collision coverage built in. And you have to waive the rental car company's coverage in order for that credit card coverage to kick in. So between your auto insurance policy and a travel credit card that has it as a benefit, you might already have enough coverage. And if that's the case, then you don't need to spend extra at the car rental counter to add this coverage. Yeah. Another good reminder, read the fine print on every policy you have. Absolutely. You save money. Yeah. Especially um, with insurance. That's complicated. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Steve asked a question related to credit card reward points. He's mm-hmm. wondering specifically with travel cards, the best use of the points, you know, is it a good idea to use those points to make purchases with merchants like Amazon, or are you actually better off using them to purchase airline tickets, book hotels, things like that? So for the most part with travel cards, you get the best value when you use your points and miles for travel, for eligible travel purchases. Um, in some, we typically points are worth an average of one cent a piece. So a 50,000 point bonus would be worth $500. There are some cards that exceed that. Uh, points would be worth, you know, 1.25 or 1.5 cents a piece, in which case a 50,000 point bonus could be worth up to $750. And so if that's the type of card you're carrying and you have travel planned, you may as well use those points on travel because you're getting the most bang for your buck. Uh, when it comes to airline and ho- airline cards, it's a little bit different. It's it's not this one cent per point uh, valuation because uh, airline awards charts are dynamic, which means they adjust based on seasonality, based on demand for certain times of year, and also based on where you're flying to. And in that case, uh, you often get more value when you travel internationally versus traveling domestically. So if you've got an international trip on the horizon, that could be a really good use of your points. But Also, like you said, you know, it's also been a tough year. So if the best uh, use of your points is that domestic trip to go visit some family or, you know, a quick weekend trip away, you know, use the points. Like that might be what allows you to vacation with your budget. So, uh, but I would say that if your plan is for using your points on things like gift cards, merchandise, and cash back, cash back cards will get you a little bit more value there. Another audience question comes from Karen. She's asking if you have any thoughts and advice related to international airfare to Europe, because obviously international airfare trends have differed throughout the pandemic from domestic domestic trends. Uh, And so where are we at right now? I know that there was a period where, you know, the conflict in Ukraine was throwing things for a loop a bit, uh, oil prop prices obviously factoring in. Um, so where where are we at in terms of international airfares specifically? Uh, so that can also depend on where you're going and where you're coming from. I'm currently in the process of planning uh, my first international trip since 2019 to Germany and Austria. So I have been eyeing airfares and um, saving up my United points that are left over from canceling a trip in 2020 that I never got to go on. So I'm with you. Um, so it depends on where you're going and demand for certain locations. Um, Germany, for example, they're, they're starting up Oktoberfest again in September for the first time in like three years. So that's going to be an expensive time to travel there. Um, so if there are any countries that have large scale events, uh, holiday travel, things like that, uh, that could be much more expensive, but at the same time, there are still deals to be had because like I said before, uh, a lot of countries that were very over-touristed before the pandemic, have yet to regain their normal level of tourists, uh, like in Italy. Uh, great time to go to Italy if there aren't that many tourists. I, I've been there in the off-season, and uh, if you can get there without the crowds, that is absolutely worth your time, because it would be less lovely with all the crowds jostling for attention. So, um, so yeah, so definitely keep an eye on pricing. Uh, just recognize that things are going to be all over the map right now. But this this could be a good time to get that Europe trip in before everybody else catches up and also starts going. And I think we have one one time for one more question. Um, so Steve uh, asked if you've seen any new trends in travel due to COVID, not just wearing masks, but anything that's changed about how we travel, where we travel, 
um, what the travel experience is like. I, I think, you know, for a lot of folks, you know, they may not have traveled since this all began. And so you you touched on how, you know, we don't remember the the choreography of, uh, of TSA, things like that. But any trends? I know, like, for me, I know leisure is something that's come up a lot in, in the uh, conversations I've had with travel experts. But any trends you're seeing that are worth keying into? Yeah, so um, outdoor travel uh, has been big. National parks have seen a lot of visitors. I went to Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons last September. Love, highly recommend, definitely go. Um, so yeah, people have been feeling more comfortable with outdoor travel simply because of the pandemic, trying to avoid time indoors with crowds. And domestic travel has been much bigger than international, obviously. Um, you know, you don't face having to take COVID tests to get back home. Uh, you might be a little bit more familiar with COVID restrictions within the United States versus going to other countries where they, they might be dramatically different from what you're used to at home. And so we've seen a lot of people staying closer to home, taking road trips, uh, utilizing vacation rentals instead of hotels because they don't want to be in hotel lobbies, um, sharing elevators with other people, um, eating, you know, not dining out. So you, vacation rentals also give you the benefit of having a kitchen so you can do your own cooking and avoid dining out if that's something that you're not yet comfortable doing. And so those are all things that we've been seeing more so at the at, at the height of the pandemic. I mean, we don't know if there's going to be a new height of the pandemic this summer. I know that I've heard whisperings of that potentially. Uh, so we'll see how things go. But for the most part, staying closer to home, um, staying outside, those have been really big. And that'll change. As people feel more comfortable getting out there, we're going to see people return to some of the types of travel that they've put off for a while. Great. I think that is a great note to leave off on. You know, uh, I, I think a lot has changed, but it is still exciting to travel. Highly encourage folks to get out there. It's it's great to just, you know, see a, see a different space than your home uh, if you haven't had that opportunity yet. Uh, so unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Please join us tomorrow. Barron Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin and healthcare industry reporter Josh Nathan Kazis will be discussing the outlook for healthcare stocks and the latest news on COVID-19 treatments and vaccines. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.